Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another episode of the One Year Novia podcast. I am Ruri Fairbairns, and today I am not your host. Nope. Today you are joined by the wonderful Jennifer Fairbairns, also known as my wife. Um, and Jen, today is going to be interviewing a very special guest who's come through the Complete Control program and had a massive experience. Super excited to hear from this former professional sports person who's an absolute legend and amazing to have taken him on this journey. I just want to let you know that this is the last episode of series three. Yes, we're taking a break and we are getting ready for series four where we're going to take it up even more notches. For now, enjoy this wonderful conversation between Jen and Scott. Without further ado, let's go over to them. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another brilliant episode of the OYMB podcast. Today, I've got another very special guest. I know I keep saying it, but I love interviewing these incredible human beings that I do have the pleasure of coaching. And today we're going to talk to Scott, who, well, he's going to tell his own story, but he has had a very interesting life of pro sports and traveling the world and seeing all the good sides of life, but also coming to a point where he reached out to a friend asking a little bit about what alcohol-free looks like. And this person kind of directed, I sent him OMB's way. And that's kind of how he found his way to us. And it's been a pleasure working with Scott in the past couple of months. But I think that hearing it from the members themselves always adds this layer of authenticity and reality to, to our audience. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Scott to the show. Thank you so much, Scott, for coming. Thanks for having me, Jen. I'm excited. I know we have lots of great conversations, so we might as well let everyone else hear how exciting we <laughs> I know, right? Well, to can let's to kick, kick things off. Let let everyone know a little bit about yourself, where you live, where you're from, and a little bit of your backstory. And, you know, I, I hinted in the intro earlier on uh, how you kind of found your way to us and essentially signed up to our program and stick with the with the coaching program and the one-to-one co -one coaching. And so why don't you give everyone a little bit of insight of who you are and what brought you this way? All right. Well, I, uh, I guess my story, st I grew up in Winnipeg, Canada, where I live now as well. I left uh, a pretty normal childhood. I was into, as most Canadians are, hockey's a pretty much a religion here. So I, uh, Played a lot of hockey and all sports, hockey and baseball mainly, but I ended up um, leaving home at 16 to pursue a professional hockey career. I moved to Seattle, um, far away from all my family and friends, and finished my high school up there. And then I was drafted to the NHL at 18. I was uh, a first-round NHL draft pick, um, which was a pretty big achievement for me and something I worked my whole life for. And I uh, played hockey for about... 12 years through uh, internationally with Team Canada at various levels and um, professionally and all sorts of levels and leagues and ended up uh, playing in Europe a bunch and 
all over the place. Um, and then uh, my career ended and I ended up uh, moving back to Canada and uh, hadn't lived here. I moved back when I was 29 and I hadn't been here since I was like 16. So I was, I've been home to visit family and everything like that in the summers and the off season, but I hadn't lived here for a long time. Um, so that was a big change. And then as far as getting involved with you guys, yeah, I was kind of, you touched base a bit on it, but I, a little bit about, so I, hockey, I, from what I understand for the Europeans and listening or is it's a very similar culture to rugby in that, um, there is alcohol is quite a big part of it, but typically when you have a day off, uh, the next day, everyone just went wild and. So we were very disciplined when you're in training and all that stuff, but um, days off and uh, when you had time off, it was like a party like you've never seen. So a bit of a binge party. And uh, so that kind of, you know, it was a fairly big part of our culture in the hockey world. And then um, I guess once I stopped playing, someone referred to it or told me it's like a dog being let off a leash kind of, and like all this free time. And I was so regimented, um, or we were so regimented in the hockey world with being on time and curfews and training and training twice a day and all that stuff. So there's not a lot of freedom. And, uh, so when I did get my chance, I kind of ran with it. And I think I, my drinking had become something that really, got in way of me achieving what I wanted to achieve in my after sports life. I'd been thinking about it a long time. And, um, a friend of mine who was from Winnipeg originally, but lives in the London area. He, uh, I, I knew he had kind of given up drinking a couple years earlier. So I reached out to him and just asked, Hey, I'm curious about this. And he sent me a link to, uh, the OINB, um, website. So I signed up and Kind of, that was almost two years ago now, and I've been making steps all along the way and following that until I made the jump to join a complete control group in, back in June. Amazing. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about complete control later, but I'm, I'm just a little bit curious about asking a little bit about that life of growing up. So growing up as a kid in, in North America, right, which is like the mecca of elite sports and something you know, nobody focuses more time and money on, on elite sports like North America, right? So hockey or American football or basketball or, or many other sports. But what was it like growing up as a kid in Canada? Okay, you know, there we go. You got the, the, the big Wayne Gretzky up there on the wall still as the, the greatest of all time. But what was it like growing up in that environment and just having that as a goal and ultimately making it? And like you mentioned, at 16, you left home. And then you moved to Seattle on your own. So like, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that experience was, was like? I, I, uh, I was the, I'm the youngest of three boys. I have two older brothers. So I was constantly trying to keep up with my brothers. Um, they were big time into hockey and baseball and sports, as well as they, they were of the era of Star Wars and, uh, they had big fans of all that science fiction stuff, but. For me, I never, I didn't catch that bug. I was just from when I can remember obsessed with sports. Um, my parents said that I learned how to read so because I wanted to read my brother's hockey or baseball cards, trading cards. So I was like, from the get go, that's all I ever wanted to do is become a professional athlete. Um, so I grew up playing hockey all winter long and baseball all summer long. And 
uh, many other sports as well, but it was just like every Canadian kid's dream to, you know, we watch hockey in Canada on Saturday night was a big event every week. Nowadays we have hockey on every night on TV, but we used to just get the one night a week. So it was quite the treat. Um, nice. Growing up in Winnipeg was a perfect climate. We had outdoor rinks everywhere. It's really cold here. So, but as a kid, you didn't, the cold never affected us or me anyway. So I'd spend hours skating outdoors with my friends and playing games. We would, and uh, to get the chance to move to Seattle at 16 was a huge opportunity for me. Um, back then there wasn't, the internet was just kind of in its infancy and there was no cell phone. So it was, it was a big move to, to leave my family. And um, I went to finish my high school there. So I left in the 11th year or grade 11 to go to a new school and a new city. And so there was lots of big changes in my life and a little independence at 16 was, I don't, not sure what you can ask my mom, but I'm not quite ready for that. Um, but it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. And I was just following my dream. And then I got drafted, like, as I mentioned earlier, uh, at 18 to, uh, to the NHL. And, uh, that was quite a moment for myself and my family were, we're very excited about that. And then, uh, you know, that it was just an amazing time to kind of accomplish some things you only dreamed you could. Mm, but that's the thing. Cause that so many kids wants to get want to get to that level, but not everyone makes it right. So I, I can imagine the celebration and the, the emotion behind that with the, the whole family. Cause having kids who are smaller girls, they're not into elite sports, but they are, they're training very hard. And I know you got two little girls as well as who are also very much into the sport. We know how much time it takes, right? As a parent, the driving around, it's a time investment, it's a money investment and we do this, right? But we just hope for the best. But in the US, there is a big drive and Canada, you know, for that to make it to, to make it to the top, right? So there must have been this euphoria in your family when, when you actually got to that place. And it was, it was a lot of hard work. I did some things. Uh, I had a, my dad was so supportive. My parents, all my family was, but my dad was supportive and he was very encouraging and not in a pushy way. I was very lucky. Uh, you hear lots of nightmare stories about parents, but he used to give me little tips and hint, uh, hints of things that could make me, you know, or even get a little bit of an edge on my competitor. So I did things like as a kid, like at 12 years old, I was strapping ankle weights to my feet and not telling any of my friends when I'd go training because I just thought this might give me a little bit of an edge and moving forward. So I was always looking at ways to be get better and, and compete and and uh, really push myself. So, you know, I think things like that really helped. Um, it just takes a lot of focus and driving. And it's, you know, so many distractions come about when you're a teenager, whether it be girls, parties, or all that stuff. So I managed to really stay focused it was up until I was a professional when kind of drinking became a bit more regular even though friends of mine had started at an early age um I was really laser focused on achieving my goal and afraid to do something and make mistakes um yeah. and end up uh regretting some of those things and uh so I was I really stayed really had to stay focused there as a teenager and kind of I, to be fair, looking back to, it, I probably didn't have much time to get in, going to parties and stuff like that. Because as I mentioned about the hockey, I also played quite a high level baseball. I represented uh, Canada internationally in baseball as well, and had to kind of make a decision between the two sports as to which I would pursue a career in. 
Um, that became quite easy to me as shoulder injuries uh, started to happen. And my baseball, my pitching career anyways, was looking less and less likely after uh, having my shoulder reconstructed twice by, by the age of 19. So, yeah, it was uh, a great childhood and upbringing and um, just prepared me well for leaving at 16, knowing I had that support. Do you ever feel like you missed out because there is a sacrifice that comes you know the training which you happily did but was there ever any feeling then or later that you feel like you missed out a little bit of being that kid like everyone else getting up to no good well there were, there were moments for sure i remember like being in seattle and i would call i back then get calling cards uh especially for international calls because i was calling from the u.s to canada but uh, I would call my friends and hear about all their weekend out. And I would have uh, probably at that point been under like a nine o'clock curfew every night and couldn't even go to a late show at the movies. But so there were moments where I felt like probably I missed out and my brother would tell me and all the things he was getting up to. And um, But I didn't really feel that I missed out that much. You know, I really, it really sunk in that I kind of sacrificed a lot or miss out on things is when I stopped playing. And I remember like the weirdest things, like even um, going out on Saturday morning for like a brunch or for just like normal things that everyone else did. But I, we were always at matches on weekends. And so there was, I was never separate from my team because we'd have team meals and all that stuff. So I'd be like going to a restaurant or something. And I'm like, oh my God, I've just felt like a, like again, like a dog off a leash. I was like, wow, this is amazing to have this freedom. And that and then I kind of look back, no regrets, don't get me wrong, but I kind of was like, wow, this is what it feels like to be normal. So that was, uh, I, uh, yeah, no, I don't regret or miss, didn't feel I missed out, but as a teenager, there were moments, I suppose, where I kind of wished there was times where I could be a little bit more normal. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Would you say that you've made up for <laughs> all the crazy times you, <laughs> you missed out when you were younger? I definitely made me up. I crammed a lot into those first 10 years. Well, um, on our side, we are seeing a, a, a huge increase in um, pro athletes and ex-pro athletes coming into um, our programs, especially the complete control program. And uh, usually the motto is like they were really good at sports. They were, you know, high achieving individuals who got were really good at sports and they got really good at everything, which included being really good at drinking, you know, when they were allowed. And so I, I guess there is a bit of, of that culture as well. Like you say, you train hard, you work hard, and then when you do get let off the leash, so to say, there there might be a, a huge influx. Is that what what was it like on the inside? I mean, you were fairly young um, when you entered it, so you know you you might have been not been too observant. But was there a point that you realized that also within elite sports, there you know there is a big degree of drinking or problem drinking or problematic drinking or, you know, just a drinking culture in general. I do. Like, I think we're always chasing that high that you get when you play the sports. The game ends and if you had the day off the next day, that was typically a time when we were green lighted to go out. Um, and luckily I was playing in the era before uh, camera phones and everyone, the internet was or Social media wasn't really around, but it was, uh, so we, we used to let loose, like I'm talking really. 
we'd be out till six, seven in the morning, um, nonstop, wake up. Usually we'd have Sundays off and we'd just watch the football, American football. So you'd wake up probably in two hours sleep and get right back after it. And then hopefully stop around 10 PM so that you're ready for Monday morning training when you're playing during the in, se- in season, at least it was with hockey. Um, and sure, you would go out during the week sometimes and have a couple of beers with dinner or whatever. But for the most part, I'd say most of the guys were fairly disciplined and dedicated um, during the season. Off season was another story. And again, that's changed too, because you see how people are training so hard. And we used to use training camp to get in shape. Now it's like you have to arrive already with your 8% body fat. And uh, well, so it would be off seasons were a lot of partying. Um, the culture, it definitely was, you know, it was all about the boys getting together, celebrating or going out, trying to meet girls, whatnot. So that was, it was a big part of that life. And then afterwards it was, it became even more so because of more of the free time and, I think probably chasing that feeling. Mm. So going through the motions of just traveling, playing all over the world and, you know, always looking to be in top optimal shape, optimal form, you know, comes a lot of pressure, a lot of, a lot of expectations. And, and then when you get to a point where you're like, okay, working towards the end of career, or do you know that? Did you know this is it? I'm done now, or was it a case of like this is going to be my last year? Or was there a decision behind that? I mean, I know know a little bit more about that, but I want you to tell our listeners like what what was that like, and what was the transition right like, and how was it difficult in any way to make that transition into? Although you mentioned it's nice to be able to go have brunch at any given time. Well, no. for sure, it was a huge change. See, I was in a different spot, and I think we've talked, and maybe we'll talk more about it again. But I was uh, being a first-round draft pick is there comes with huge expectation, and um, I'm a pretty deep thinker and very hard on myself by nature. Always have been, and uh, I, I think by the time I was ready to retire, I was mentally exhausted. I'd taken a lot of I quite I hadn't quite achieved. Uh, the level that was, I think, expected of me, whether that have been the results of injuries or I think mostly it was me putting too much pressure on myself um, and kept me up at night all the time. And I think I was just mentally exhausted. I actually retired at a pretty relatively young age with still opportunities to play it all over the place. Um, but I just was mentally exhausted and my body, I had plenty of surgeries and broken bones and whatnot, but I, I was ready. I, I think I stopped loving it and I was feeling more depressed and it was just more a case of at that point, I felt like maybe I was playing because I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't want to disappoint others who were kind of following my career quite closely or feeling that, um, they had this belief in me and I didn't want to let them down. So I, I, I think I held on a little bit longer than I was mentally wanting to. Uh, oh. And I believe that holding a lot of those feelings in like the way you kind of numb yourself was to, to have drinks. And I think when I finally did make the decision to uh, call an end to my career, I was at a place where 
I was just exhausted and drinking made me feel better. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't say that because I know better now, but it, at the, it momentarily numbs my, my struggles and my mental uh, pain and stress levels. So I know it didn't help me. It definitely didn't help me when I say that, but I felt at the yeah. time it did. Yeah, but I also wonder how many people listening to this can relate to what you're saying here. You know, it it you know I I just drinking to get away from the or you know making it less hard. And you said, I mean, I love how you also wash over broken bones and surgeries. Like it's like you know just like a bruise or cut a bruise with plaster. You're like you had genuine broken bones and surgeries, right? But it was so normal for you to it just like just another broken bone, right? So I can only imagine what that does to someone mentally. What's well, funny because I remember when we started the in the CC and we talked about the trauma and stuff like like that and what kind of our root causes and what what possibly could have caused us to drink more than we would have liked. And I never ever thought of physical injuries as a uh, source of trauma that could lead to something like this. And I look back, like. I don't think there was a year from the point of 11 on where I hadn't broken a bone or separated my shoulder. So I guess it, um, that probably had underlying issues. So all the physical mm. injuries I had uh, on top yeah. of with the stresses mentally of co- the, the expectations from coaches and agents and family. Like I just remember when I was like 19 being totally overwhelmed uh, as I'm like, had the general manager of the NHL team that had drafted me, my agent, my family. I had a bad game. I had a phone call. It was all, oh, what's going on? What happened? And I, as mentioned before, I'm a deep thinker. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So it was almost like that quicksand issue where the harder you try to get out of the funk, the further you get sucked in. And yeah. it was just so mentally exhausting. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, so from the age of 11, and then you get drafted to the NHL in, in the age of 18. At that point, you've lived a lifetime at that point, right? With broken bones and, you know, expectations and all that stuff. And so there is this romantic overview of how the success, you know, how to measure success as an athlete, how we make it, right? But the the weight of the expectations and what you actually have to go through, both mentally and physically, that isn't really talked about. And so... You know, coaching with you, getting to know you, you know, and even when you came into CC, we just, everyone just said, wow, he has a, the, he has a big heart. He's a good human being, right? And you feel a lot. And so the thing is, if I looked at the paper, I'm like, I wouldn't have guessed that you were ex-pro hockey player. That was just kind of, oh, right, he's a hockey player. Because, you know, the gentleness of you doesn't even, even up to this whole tough hockey guy, which is what the word ex- world expects, right? So when I started working with you, it, uh, it dawned on me, you know, the, 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 the conflict that can become quite s- strong between this expectation of who we need to be as a pro athlete versus who this person is inside and maybe who you had to become to live up to the expectations, right? It's a little bit of a betrayal who you truly are in order to be this tough guy. You can still be a tough guy, but also be a very down to earth and feel a lot and ex- be expressionate, right? So doing the work that you've done for the past couple of months through the program and through our coaching, have you found yourself reconnecting with that that younger kid that maybe wasn't that tough hockey player that had to get to become, but maybe that authentic side of you who feels a little bit more, who are, you know, not 
afraid to express their emotions and their feelings and stuff, right? That had to be put aside in favor of being, you know, macho hockey person. I cannot uh, begin to express how much it's helped. Like, hockey was, the hockey world I, was such a macho um old boys club you had to be especially when i was coming up through the 90s and that i think the games changed there's a lot more support mental health support and it's more accepted now back then it was you just had to keep your mouth shut and you did what your coach told you and you it it was and and like you kind of mentioned that wasn't natural i was very competitive i was i always wanted that side of me fit in perfectly with the hockey work but I didn't really it didn't come naturally to me for me to be this constantly aggressive like big I'm alpha personality like I'm trying to still be respectful of the culture because there's lots of great things but it was for, no of course of course it didn't, it didn't suit my personality perfectly for sure so mm. I, we talked about it we did all the the ego work and learning a bit about ourselves like I just it made it opened my eyes to how there was a whole portion of my life there that was almost me pretending to be someone I wasn't and that obviously leads to unhappiness and and kind of uh is a big probably reason why I started drinking a little bit too much and from time to time and so and another part of that is that when I was playing people were open about discussions we couldn't openly discuss that oh I'm struggling like there was days where they couldn't even I, I dreaded going to the ring for training. Like I was just in a complete state of depression probably, but I, we were told to suck it up and go there. That was how everyone did. So you, like you, you, you went no matter how you were feeling, you played games with broken arms, you played games with broken toes, you played, but just being part of this group and having similar minded people to, to open up to like at the beginning of a CC program was, was so helpful for me because <clears throat> I, I'm not a private person, but that side of things I was very private about always. And like, I kind of shied away from talking. They gave me a platform and a group of people who were non-judgmental and just, it was just fantastic to be able to, it was almost like a load getting off my shoulders there that I remember those first couple of weeks, like I just already felt like a new person having a group of people who didn't judge, didn't care. Um, we all had our experience and it was just such a nice place to open up and really kind of heal and move on from things that I didn't realize I hadn't moved on from. Something. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, whether we are a sensitive or vulnerable, you know, human being should reflect our, you know, whether or not how much we love our, our sports, right. And we can be vulnerable and at emotionally in touch, a person in touch with that emotion, but still love hockey, right? This is the thing of not just ice hockey or pro sport. I think it, it's been spread everywhere in the past. You know, it's much better now, but back in the day, it wasn't okay for men to be shown as weak. They weren't allowed. And we see this in our program all the time. It's like we talk about vulnerability and people start, you know, they start retreating. They're like, oh my goodness, you know, this is scary because vulnerability has been kind of portrayed as... um as a weakness, you know, and boys were, like you said, toughen up, you know, put some big boy pants on and off you go and, and boys don't cry and all those things that used to be so prevalent within this macho culture. It is changing today, which is wonderful to see. You can really see it within youth sport as well. And, you know, watching grown up men and women, you know, who, who come into this program, 
really released all those old beliefs about vulnerability being a bad thing and and really learn that being in touch with emotions is a strength being able to say hey i'm not okay is a strength and being able to lean on others you know is a strength and so i really honor that and how you embrace that and also it was so wonderful to see you just literally just take off with with yourself in in this journey on on personal development just by really giving yourself permission to be both athlete scott and you know, vulnerable Scott, who's in touch with his emotion, his emotion, right? And so, you know, keep that work up. But I'm curious to see as to what have those around you, what do they have to say about what you're doing now? You know, a, maybe from your wife, but but also from your extended friends and peers. Because the thing is, regardless if you choose to or not, when you're a person that is a pro athlete or do something that's kind of pretty incredible for anyone else standing on the outside you know as mere mortals we look at someone that goes okay they do something really cool you become a person of of interest that people will look to and they will try and emulate they try and copy they try and be a little bit more like that so no no doubt have you been a bit of a leader figure within your environment so what has it been like for you to embrace this alcohol-free journey going through this you know in front of others and and showing up because you haven't really shied away from social events or get-togethers or sporting events. You've kind of been throwing yourself out there and work events also. You've been kind of throwing yourself out there and just socializing and doing your thing whilst going through this process. So what have, what what's the feedback been? What have people said and how have you felt about just owning this renewed version of yourself? Uh, well... I'll start off with a, a funny story about we were talking about me being vulnerable with you guys and laying out my emotions there. So I, when I came home one day, I was telling my girls about it, uh, and uh, my oldest daughter just looked at me and she, she goes, "This doesn't mean you're going to cry around me all the time, is it?" <laughs> so as for everything else, so when I first started the journey, it was uh, almost two years ago now. Like I mentioned, I did the OIMB, and I think the first I did a six month. I did a sign up for three months and extended it six months because I was feeling so good personally. But the, he touched, talked about the socializing and stuff. I, I was very, still very, very uncomfortable socially going out and kind of fighting that I was drinking alcohol-free beers and uh, coming up with excuses. And I just, I was still in that vulnerable uh, stage of, I, I thought I had to be this person. I was always all... They used to joke I was the fastest casual beer drinker they knew, and like I could drink to pint in a very short amount of time. I guess a bit self-conscious about how I was to be perceived, and are they going to be judgmental? Are they going to think he has a drinking problem? Is it, um, are they going to think he did something bad? Like all those thoughts were going through my head, so I was always a bit nervy going to the. I tried to still go as much as I could, and um, I figured it would eventually become more of a normal feeling and I'd get over that and I think the first year and a bit I lift the just the OYNB I had all these long stretches I was doing alcohol free but I never really got to the root of um of why I was living the way I was or why alcohol this kind of grip or effect on me and that is when I um reached out I think it was back in March of last year to start with the to give the CC program a try. Just I, I knew it was going to be something a little deeper and more personal. 
Uh, and um, so I started that in June was my, the start of my uh, complete control group. And that, that was like opening uh, Pandora's box of just adding these tools that I didn't have and going in deeper dives and really helping me to feel just comfortable and confident which is such a weird thing because I always was as like growing up confident, sure of myself kid. I was always kind of the leader on the teams I played on and um, follow me. I'm going to do the right things. But then I think with my, in my own head, realizing that my drinking was kind of taking control, I lost that. I felt a little bit ashamed of kind of the life I was living in my head, just being self-judgmental. So it took me until doing those the work with you and everyone in the complete control program to really just find myself again in the real Scott, the true uh, person I know I want to be and I knew I I can be again. Um, I think I was just kind of hiding a big part of me through drinking and trying to please others. I, again, to refer back to hockey, that was what it was. You're trying to be someone you weren't to. So you're not getting yelled at or screamed at by your coach or being judged by your teammates if you're a little bit on the sensitive side. And so I think I I lived kind of feeling not sorry for myself, but a little bit like ashamed that hmm. I'm doing these things. And but but then again, I when I for a few drinks, I had that feeling that I was confident again. But that was short lived, obviously. When you're riddled with anxiety for days after, so. <laughs> But it was just, like I said, it was amazing to get to a point where I could really start the introspective work again and try to really recapture the the best the best version of Scott. Let's pause just for a brief moment. I just want to share with you some of the heartfelt feedback from our incredible Complete Control community members. Listen to this. I, I don't know how I signed up. I think I just got an ad on Instagram and just got a whim, just hit the button and did a call and then signed up and didn't really consciously think much about it. And then after that, I was like, what did I just sign up for? Wait a second here. Like far exceeded my expectations. I'm usually extremely skeptical. So I don't know how I even signed up in the first place, but whatever it was. Um, so it's just amazing how like the transformation that I've seen and even the drinking part is just kind of the super, it, it was the Achilles heel, but it's kind of just the superficial problem and it's like once i kind of clear that up there's so much more possibility and and you know the exploration discussions with gary with candace have just been so powerful and kind of they both kind of focus on a different area and then with glenn kind of looking at my data and with my co cohorts or classmates or you know it's just been just everything has just been so powerful and kind of supportive of you know, completing the whole picture of how I do this. Um, so just really grateful and, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and also just feel more grateful and not only just for all of you, but just, just in life in general, it's just a little bit more clarity and peace and calm and, and, and so forth. So I am incredibly grateful for this entire program, everybody on this call and everything that we were able to experience. Um, I think that it delivered more than I expected. Honestly, I, I, like I've said before, I've done a couple of like challenges and different things. And I think that this beyond, um, 
examining my relationship with alcohol and making, I think, pretty good strides in in um, staying alcohol free. Um, I think it taught me a ton about myself and how to like examine my habits and my thoughts and those kind of um, patterns and ways to ways to approach the things that worried me the most in this in this experience um, have just been invaluable. I think I'm leaving feeling um, in stronger in general, more self-aware in general, and um, just really more anchored in who I want to be and what my values are and how I can, you know, take better steps to achieve those. So it's been fantastic for me. And then again, the, our team, I, I really um, appreciate all the feedback and support from every single person on this call, but my cohort as well. It's been great. So I love everybody that I've met here. I have loved the program. I am not uh, an emotional person like this, but this has changed my life. It, it, it has given me a life. Um, and there's other things I need to do too, um, but I don't have to do a clock call anymore. So thank you. It's been an amazing journey and a very, I appreciate the professionalism. Whenever I feel the stress, I, there's there's something that I can go back to, to everybody and the sharing from everybody and the professionalism of the program. So I loved it. And I've grown a lot. So, ups and kisses. One word is transformational. That's a word that's been bandied about for decades. But in this, it is absolutely accurate, if I was to use one word. This was a great investment. It's not... It's not self-help, it's self-realization. It's um, super powerful, but it, it exceeded my expectations. Or maybe it was Sharon who said that, um, uh, or maybe I'm exceeding my expectations, and I like that. I mean, the program has been hugely, I'm hugely great for some program. I think the journey of for myself has been amazing. I mean, I remember telling, I don't know if it was Candice or Gary, the first three or four weeks of the program, I was like, I can't stop thinking about not drinking. It's just, it's in my head. I'm ha every day I'm thinking about not drinking. And it's it's like now I'm not even thinking about it. You know, it's just like my life has sort of stepped on. I'm excited about the future. Um, things are looking good. Things are looking good. I just love sharing the things people are saying about our complete control program. Okay, let's get back into the episode. What would you say was the game changer for you because you said so when you tried the alcohol free before you did it but it was you weren't it was, it was tough owning it you know because you were kind of doing it for maybe not the right reasons like we said you were just doing doing alcohol free so what was the you know what was it within complete control that you would say was the biggest game changer for change it's a good question there, there's so much of it but I, I remember i believe it was the second week where we went really really deep and learning, we, I think we started learning a bit about the ego side of things. And, um, and I, I actually understood there was reasons I, I was not being who I was. I, I had created this kind of alter alternate side of me that kind of hide behind so that I didn't stick out as this weird, sensitive, uh, kind of gentle, but yet six foot four, 230 pound occupier, everyone expected. So I, I think it was just 
I just had, it was almost like a aha moment. Like it's, I've been there all along. I've just been tending so long and masking so long um, through alcohol and trying to be what others expected of me. And I knew that they liked that version of me as well. Um, so I, I just had this moment where, like we said, in the OIMB, while I thought it was fantastic and it laid the groundwork and really got me thinking on things I needed to go deeper, um, to learn more about myself. And, and it, it, it obviously was more of a commitment. So it, it, and more of a, I didn't want to let anyone down. So I really did the work. I did the, the deep dive and I really wanted to find out what I had, I had never done any of this. I'd worked with sports psychologists and, um, who all told me I was mentally not fit to be a hockey player because the aptitude tests, other than that, like I just didn't fit into that. Most athletes can have a bad game and forget about it and move on. And they're a bit simpler thinking that lends itself more to, I think, to being a good, you need to have a short memory and not be so hard on yourself. And that was something I really struggled with. I'd lose sleep. So yeah, it was just that, that whole real deep dive into all the things that had happened to me and the pressures I felt It kind of just, I've been put them away in a compartment and that in complete control, I for the first time, I really felt comfortable being open and honest and not feeling like anyone would judge me. I guess we've all got our own story. I think I thought maybe my trauma wasn't good enough. It wasn't as bad as other weird, there's people, our group who had lost children and all that, you know, like horrible things that happened to them. Here I am complaining about having a professional sports career and the stresses that came with, um, performance expectations and physical injuries. So yeah, it was, it was really, really, really helpful for me. So, and exactly what you said there is that I just didn't think that my trauma was relevant because some other people had a much worse time than me, right? This is what we see so many people coming into this program and they have exactly that mindset of like, well, there are so many people out in the world, you know, that have it worse than me. So I should just be grateful, which is, we should always practice gratitude. You know, that's one of the things that we do in the, uh, in the, in the complete control program. We always encourage gratitude practice. However, we can't disregard or deny our own story. And I think that's what a lot of people do because one, they're told that you should, you're, you know, you should be grateful, you know, you're healthy, you've got your health and, you know, there's people in the worst having worse off. So just, you know, get on with it in a way, which is, which can be helpful, but not if there's a source of hurt beneath it. Right. And so, you know, hearing you say that I remember also you you know having that moment where you went I just didn't think that my hurt or my trauma was as important but you didn't live the other people's lives I always say this but you didn't live their life you didn't go through what they went through you know bless them awful awful situation but you wouldn't know that situation because that's not how you live all you know is your life right and you've lived your life and there was a lot of hurt and I mean beginning of this this podcast you mentioned you know, from the you said from the from the age of eleven, I don't think there was ever a time where I didn't have a broken bone. You know, up until you finished your hockey career, how many years in total did you play? Let's say from let's say eleven. Well, from yeah, yeah, seventeen or eighteen years. I mean, right. So, so when you look at it, and that like that is a lot of hurt for one kid that turns into a young adult turns into a man, right? 
but there's a lot to go through. And whatever, whoever's listening to this and they go, well, I wasn't a pro athlete. Okay, well, what's your story? And the thing is, I always encourage people to check their own story. What was, what was your life right, like? And what was that in your eyes? And how have you carried that? And how have you made good? Like, how have you, what narrative have you created to kind of get on with it, right? Because it's easier than to kind of sit and linger on something potentially uncomfortable and stuff. And this is what we do in the program, right? It's a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning. Like we, we have to kind of draw you guys out there because we're asking you to give up who you think that you are in order to discover who you truly are, right? And although you knew that, yeah, I didn't really fit in as an athlete, being asked by a group of people to kind of let go of everything that you think you know, what was that like? I'm a, quite a social person. I love meeting new people. And again, this is another personality trait that didn't fit in with the sports world especially hockey is very cliquey and um if you whatever city i was living in or playing in i made friends outside of the team usually i love to get to know different love to experience the actual living in a different city and meeting people understanding a bit about them so there was a lot of teams i took a lot of grief from coaches and teams because i had friends outside of the team where i said we should all hang out together and if you're not with your team all day long you're you're not committed to this team or to this. So I loved getting the chance to meet these people, but I w- went in super nervous. I remember the first call with, uh, I was away on a work trip. I was in Toronto and I remember the first like call introduced that I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was like sweating. I'm like, Oh God, and feeling uncomfortable, like that nervous feeling before you public speak kind of, even though it was just 12 of us on camera, but I instantly felt like, uh, we were all here to understand and to support each other. Um, and it was, what really was really nice is because I, it wasn't about demonizing alcohol or feeling shame about if you slipped up or anything like that. It was more just focusing on who we want to become and how we can, um, and that's why it really sold me. Like, that's why I was like, you know what, this, I'm in the right place because I, the whole starting over again and counting over again. Like I, I never looked at myself and I don't think ever was alcoholic per se. I definitely drank way too much when I drank. Like I was a big time binge drinker and I was just like coming to this place, not unsure of what they everyone was going through. And if I was going to be the only person the kind of the way I drank or if there was, it was going to be people who drank every day. And when I got there and it was a mix of all of us who we all had an issue with alcohol a different and it was but we were all really just trying to be the best version of us it wasn't the focus wasn't just on waking up every morning and not having a drink and thank god we made it because we just wanted to continue living our life and and not have the thought of alcohol dominating our life you know or the every counting every day or whatever it was more just about how we become the best version of ourselves and everyone was buying in together and we were all open and sharing and there was crying and even laughter and everything. And it was just something I hadn't experienced. It was almost like being on a sports team where you're trying to pull together to achieve a common goal. Um, but the, just the non-judgmentalness was very special. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, not counting days because that can, and this is no judgment to anyone who finds counting days helpful. Because it can be helpful, especially in the beginning. I would say usually the first seven to fourteen days is very helpful. Helpful kind of for people to kind of focus. 
but it's something that we see people coming in and they're really going in all in on their self, not focusing on how many days they can go out for free, but focusing on this version of themselves that they're wanting to become, who they want to be, right? And there's, again, no judgment on who we've been before. It doesn't really matter who we've been before. All that matters is who we want to become at the end of the day, right? And we see very quickly how people, when they start focusing on who they're trying to become, they stop counting the days very quickly because even if they have, let's say, a slip up, they count it as a as a learning opportunity because that's what we need to do in order to shame ourselves or in, instead of shaming ourselves or or judging ourselves because we we didn't do the thing we set out to do. Well, what if we change the the narrative from my goal is to be alcohol free, full stop, to my goal is to be the healthiest, most authentic version of myself and that is a person that has flaws that is a person that makes mistakes but i'm also a person that make mistakes and learn from it that's when everything changes right so how what has you know let's be authentic let's share with the listeners what has your journey looked like on the alcohol side through this you know coming into doing complete control and then continuing into the limitless continuation program and stuff why don't you share a little bit what it's looked like for you and where you're at now and, and how you feel about where you're at? Uh, okay, well, I, I'll start even back to February 2022 when I first started with OYNB and I put together right off the get-go a six-month stretch without drinking. Um, and I watched the daily videos and I was journaling, which made me feel helped with accountability. Then I, the summer came and I had a couple months where I was very moderate, way less than I previously drank for sure. So I was very mindful and moderate, but I still had some drinks. We had family from the UK came to stay with us and, uh, for four weeks, my nieces and nephews and brother and sister alone and they were, uh, so we, we'd spend some time holidaying, which I, I thought, okay, I'll have a couple of drinks here and see how I do after doing that six months in. And I didn't feel great. So I was like, you know what? I want to go back to that. So I did another four or five months, um, back with OIMB following all the, and then I, uh, about spring of last year, I had a few really moments where I was felt I was slipping back into my old ways. Like I was doing two months without a drink, but then there was those Friday afternoon work lunches that started popping back up again. Um, and I was, and they were getting to the spot. My daughters are getting older and they were seeing, even though it was so much more infrequent than before, they, I just was being more mindful of, um, my family and my daughters seeing me in the States that I was like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't proud of. Um, so that's when I joined CC and that was in June and I didn't have a, I went four months totally committed through the program and was just loving meditation it was so helpful. I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk on that later too but um just everything in the program was wonderful and then i had a as we, you know well i went away on a business trip in september just after four months um and i uh didn't do the prep work that i needed to do and i had a couple days there where i had some drinks and i was back on the road and um i don't know why or what led to it but i we've i was weak and I had a couple of nights where I drank quite heavily. Um, came back, we're in the lip. At this point, I'm in LC. And so I am working with you, obviously. So um, 
I was felt a bit ashamed. And I must say, Jen, you really helped me because the old Scott, that was the way he felt really anxious and ashamed. But you kind of really helped me with being less hard on myself. Um, and that, you know, I, I definitely got through that week with lots of help from you. Like, the, I'm talking about getting through the week. Like, nothing bad happened or anything. I just was no. trying to get over the yeah exactly you're just really hard on yourself i remember it so well but that's the thing is that it that is a pattern that you had from before it came with you because like you were all of a sudden you were not perfect and you've been you've been conditioned your whole youth to be perfect to live up to certain standard as expectations by others all of a sudden now there's no audience it's just scott for scott and it, that's where this is for everyone to take in is like when we feel i'm going to be judged by others like who's there no one cares <laughs> no there's no one that would need to <laughs> Another learning part from that experience that's something that I've taken well from that was although it seems like when you're on the road and you're away from my kids aren't gonna see you, it seems like a great time to, you know, let loose and have clients are having dinners and they expect me to be a certain way because I always was with this energetic guy who would drink whiskey or beer till whenever hours of the day. Um so I, I let those expectations of others I think I, I wasn't, I don't know why I let it influence myself, but I slipped back into that way. But I, what I was going to say, the one thing I learned too, that's going to help me moving forward is that being on the road, traveling a lot, which I have done for work over the last 12 years or so is, it can be a lonely being in your room by yourself in a hotel. And you've, um, it was brutal coming down off that. I think a lot of, oh, that's the time and place to do it. Like if you're going to have let loose and have a few drinks, but it was awful for me because you're missing your, your family and you're, you're in your room by yourself, all these thoughts. And I, I got into a really down spot while I was there. It wasn't until I got back home that, and started, you know, back with the family and with, um, dealing with meeting with you and you kind of talked me off the ledge, not, not literally, but. Not actually. No. So yeah, that was. So, anyways, I've I think no. I've learned big time from that, and since that point, I I've been really back on not drinking. I love waking up every morning and feeling like I'm energized and and ready to conquer the world and feel. So I know I can achieve that. And so you know what listening to that for anyone hearing that you know the amount of reflection that goes and this is something we talk we coach heavily on in the complete control program is a reflection. That's kind of part of our, what our big pie of, of habits that we need to keep up, keep up with and keep in, and keep in touch with and that, you know, exercise, nutrition, breathing, meditation, which we'll, which we'll talk about a little bit more now. Um, there, you have your own choice to enter there. There's connectivity, connection, and reflection is in there. And reflection is, I think, something that people don't do much of and reflection you can do in many ways you know you mentioned journaling also that that's a great way to kind of reflect but in that instance of going away on that work trip it doesn't matter what happened it just the, the important thing is that you reflect over how how why you know what happened there and you know how do I feel how did that make me feel and then we start measuring up I always talk about the cost of like okay so this is the cost of going back to old habits before it's there I can choose to take it if I want to but I'm just going to choose the other way because I'm really enjoying feeling connected with my kids, with my wife, with, you know, just with myself. And I'm enjoying that. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to 
demonize myself for what I've done in the past. It just means that, hey, that's just a great opportunity for learning. So, you know, speaking about reflection and journaling and meditation, let's talk about meditation for a little bit. And what was, what, what meaning did meditation have to you before entering into complete control or even OMB, you know, wherever you kind of picked it up, but we go in really hard on that in the complete control program. Where, what was your experience before and, and how did that develop during it? I've given meditation a try a few times over the years and tried consistently for a couple of weeks here or there, but never could fall into a rhythm. And it always felt like I couldn't get it. I think that's a common problem with a lot of people when they start meditation, they end up just giving up. I, yeah, I just was lots of distractions, lots of, no matter what I did, if I lit incense and a dark room or whatever, I tried everything to try and get this toll over and I couldn't figure it out, but I don't think I stuck with it long enough. So when I did join the pro, I, like I said, I fully committed myself to the complete control program and I wanted to make sure like I meditated every day, I journaled every day, the stuff that was asked of us to really, I just wanted to get the full experience and not cheapness. Like I, I was really serious about making this change and becoming this better version. Um, so I did meditate every single day and I think it was probably around the third week that I, it just kind of clicked for me. Um, I had a really crazy experience where I was like almost living experiences from my youth back. That was like, I woke up almost like tears streaming down my face. Like I was just like, oh my God, that was unbelievable. And so I wanted to chase that feeling again. And I, and you're not going to get it every time, but I think it, I, it really gave me that feeling that this is something I that brought, brings peace to me and, um, calms me down with the breathing, the, the body scans, the meditation. Now I, I do that every morning before I get up quite early to go work out before my family wakes up, before the kids are up and before I get them ready for school. And, um, so I get up at five and I do my meditation and I head to the gym about 545 every day or do whether it's meditation or breath work or the gratitude body scans and all that. So I just, it's just given me a uh, peace of mind where I used to wake up with the squirrels in my head going crazy. Uh, oh, you've got this today. You've got to stress with that. You've got two days to get this done. It's just given me a, uh, an outlook, a positive outlook every day. Um, let's say I maintain that every day. We all have our issues, but, but it's given me a best chance to have a, a, a positive day, I feel, is to continue with this. And it's been so good for calming myself down um, when I'm feeling anxious or when I, which kind of times previously would lead me to go on those afternoon lunch meetings that end up being five, six hours of consuming alcohol. And so I, yeah. I, I be, I'm using that instead. Yeah, I love that. And I remember you know, hearing you go through the motions of a busy household, like anyone who has a, has kids, you know, will know what that means. It can be lovely and it can be chaotic. But I remember this one occasion when you told me about how there was carnage at the house. There was other kids. There was more, lots of kids. There was probably a puppy and there was a house renovation, kitchen renovations and all that, you know, all that carnage. You kind of just went, nope, that's it. I'm off to my room. I'll be meditating, right? And, and, I mean, the, the strength in that is incredible. And to, to power through that feeling of like, oh, this isn't for me. Because I think that's what we hear most from people is like, oh, I tried meditation. 
it wasn't for me. And they've tried maybe once or twice and they're like, they're not hovering a feet off the ground, like, you know, like a monk. And they just expect, they have so such high expectations of what should be happening. Whereas if we just take that moment, just sit with ourselves and breathe and allow ourselves to connect just to our breathing to begin with, but then just let go of the resistance of what we think should be. I think that's when you can get to these moments where you might just connect with pieces of you that is floating around, you know, like you said, you woke up from one meditation, just like tears streaming down in a good way, right? Because you're allowing yourself to feel. But I think maybe that's also why people tend to avoid it because they're like, oh, but I spent so much time trying not to feel. <laughs> and I think they also, some people expect, like when I first started meditation, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I just knew I wanted to be like monks and like you're saying. But you, so you have these high expectations that you're going to get a feeling like that or have a moment like that instantly and it's going to happen every time and i think just to people who are struggling with it need to understand that it's normal that to be a bit scatterbrained and things are popping in your head and you're focused so much and trying to push them out but that's okay just welcome them in just um so i think it took a while for me to understand that having sessions like that is okay um you're not gonna and it, it still gives me a peace of mind and i'm at a point now where i i'm when those things come in, like you said, we, we kind of channel them and just feel, I, I start feeling my body at the, that point more, just the sensory body scanning. I find really good too, to kind of deflect those when lots of stuff is coming at you and trying to be at peace. Mm. So I, the, the tools I've learned have been fed. Mm. So if anything, and again, this is just a, a question that if you have an answer, if not, no worries, but. I like asking this and that is like, what has been the, what has been the biggest surprise during this journey of self-discovery, personal development this past, let's say, since you started CC, since you started really working on yourself, what has been the biggest surprise for you? I think I was so focused on wanting everyone to, like me, I was pleasing people and that was leading the dream. I just don't think I saw a way to get past that feeling of wanting to please. So if anyone called to go, oh, let's do want to have a meeting, let's go for beers. I was afraid that if I said no, I would lose those kind of friends. So I feel like I, but the biggest surprise for me is just how quickly that program, and I'm not getting overconfident here because I know I'm going to be working on this forever, but how quickly it just brought me back to being my, I guess confident in myself, but like genuine confidence because I've always been a, that or I always was up until hockey kind of took its toll. That person who didn't care really what everyone else was doing. I I did, and I, I don't mean that in a way that I didn't. Who cares what they're doing? I mean, like I I could, I would do what I I marched to the beat of my drum, and I I knew I was doing things right. I was confident in that, and I stuck to my guns. If I didn't think something was the right thing to do, I wouldn't do it. Where now I've that alcohol came in and influenced me the other way. Um, so I, I, I do just think of how, like this, the, the speed of which I really feel like I found myself at least got myself pointed in the right direction of achieving exactly what I came here to do. I think the first time we talked, I said, I wanted to feel that, that joy and passion that I've had. We all had when we were young or not all, but I'm assuming most of us did but just a pure joy, not, letting those these anxious, stressed feelings come in and being present all the time. Mm. 
which is very hard. Mm. But, but it's been really a huge surprise and, and, and lift to myself and to my family, for sure. I know they'd all say what a change it's made in me. And yeah, yeah so I'm just super proud to have done all that. And one other thing, little quick thing that is, I think I had a fear uh, that people were going to be judgmental and not drinking and you lose your friends. And for sure I'm not. I don't think I'm invited to as many social gatherings as I once was because of it. But I would say that that fear is unfound in a lot of uh, places. Like everyone's been so respectful and lots of people are asking, picking my brain and really interested in kind of making the same changes. I think they see I've uh, physically transformed my body. I've lost quite a bit of weight I, um, throughout the last few years and uh, just overall healthy look, I believe, even though my hair is going whiter by the moment. By the <laughs> I, uh, I just, I feel, and I think people can see that when you see someone who's mm-hmm. really kind of finding themselves again, it's noticeable. So for anyone um, looking to, I don't know, anyone who's curious, sober curious, or, you know, kind of going, mm, I'm not sure, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, I've been, I'm feel similarities with Scott. I maybe have been playing this tough guy. And I, I'd speak out to all the men out there for this because many have been expected to play a certain role and a certain part in life and in the world, in their families, right? You know, so what would you say to anyone that is kind of like, gosh, sounds a lot like me, you know, but it's like, but how could I ever let down this facade of this tough guy? It's what people expect of me. It's who I'm supposed to be. How the heck am I even going to even try to dis- rediscover myself without looking like a fraud or something? So what would you say to someone on the cusp of trying to figure out whether they want to do something? I think if you're even considering like, that you would like to give up alcohol or if it's a thought there, I, I so highly recommend giving the program a, a, a chance because it's hard for us, especially for men, I, from what I understand, I've never lived as a woman, so I don't know, but for men to share emotions and stuff like that is super difficult with, with friends I've known for my whole life. Um, and this brought me into a group uh, and I've met a lot of friends here that I'm sure I'll be in touch with for the rest of my life. But we we laughed like we're like it's so easy because we didn't know each other in a different life or you we've only met through this that we can so I have met so many people in here who, like I've got guys that I now live all over the world that I can kind of reach out to and say having a tough day today like really now or I'm going yeah. on a business trip and I'm thinking I'm worried about it like am I going to slip back so there's this support and it's it's introducing you a bunch of people who are non-judgmental and really supportive of me and the changes I'm going to make. And they like me without having to frank the tank, pound 10 pints back in a less than an hour, kind of start the night off. That was the start of the night. But so it's just been so nice to, I still love all my friends from, and they're starting to understand and coming around to like the new Scott. Um, But it's been just, if you're feeling that way, like you need, you're wanting to make these changes, like time is precious. And part of me, one of the only regrets, I don't regret a lot of things in life, is that I probably didn't start this process a few years earlier. Um, um, and I think, so I, I just would recommend just 
try it. Like no one's going to judge you. No one, people are supportive. The world's becoming way more, becoming way more prevalent in like the options. I couldn't believe when we were back in October in the UK, how many pubs. Yeah. Alcohol-free beers on on tap, and it's the same here in Canada. You can get drinks anywhere. They have a mocktails list everywhere. It's it's more accepted um, than it was year, probably even five years ago. Like way way more accepted. So I, give it a try. I promise you, it's it's not easy. And but the deep dive and learning more about myself, just like not in just in the drinking side of things. I think just in my own mental health, it's helped me so much. Um, and rediscovering kind of that young scott in the genuine joy and being present like mm. it's it's there i love that and i have to say in the limitless which is the continuation program after complete control i mean i love those group calls like coaching with the in-group form because you have all these people from all over the world all walks of earth right and very few people know what the other person does for job right because nobody cares it's just that beautiful environment where Everyone is just equal and everyone is just there to work on the cell themselves. And many are swimming against the grain in their in their um, personal environment because most people are just still drinking, still doing all this stuff. But I, we always say that, you know, don't wait for others to catch up. Go and go and discover yourself, you know, because there's all there's always going to be a crowd. And like you say, yeah, there are some parties you don't get invited to. I'm like, if there are some parties I'm not invited to. I wouldn't want to be there anyway. That that's like, it's like the natural culling of, of of the of how it works. I like to say. Um, now, honestly, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this this um, episode, and I, I hope that I mean we I, I keep refer- referencing men, and obviously there is a lot of women out there also who maybe have not been as in touch with their emotions or not been imp- allowed to express their emotions. So we're not limiting that, but. I think what's so specific about you and your background is that I know that a lot of men in in, in that situation are going to be able to relate. I know there's going to be a lot of, particularly the North American audience, who've gone through similar experiences like you have, who who will be able to relate. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with them. And, and uh, you know, I... Again, I just love watching you grow and, and evolve further. And, and this is for everyone listening. Is like what you hear here is just a human being trying to be the best version of itself. And then we do something that we are not happy about. And then we learn from that and then we move forward. But as long as we keep learning, we're growing, right? Thanks so much. I know I, I've listened to uh, a lot of your guys' podcasts and they, they've helped me. So I... I love getting the opportunity to hopefully people can listen and learn a few things and and relate. Um, so thanks for giving me this. Absolute pleasure, Scott. All right. To everyone listening, thank you once again for tuning in and for supporting us. If you haven't hit the subscribe button, please do so so you don't miss out. And we can also uh, have a wider range of reaching people who want to hear what we've got to say. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye for now. All right. Well, that was amazing. What an incredible story. Maybe that could be your journey. Maybe that could be your story. If a little part of you is thinking, what is this complete control thing? And can it help me? Then why not book a call with the team and find out more? You'll find the links in the show notes below, or just head to oneyearnobeer.com and you can click on complete control or take the quiz. It will direct you to complete control and you can book a call to talk to my team from there. It's amazing the results we are achieving for people because the issue is not alcohol. 
right? Alcohol is not the problem. Alcohol is what you are using to treat the problem. And all we've got to do is address the thing that's causing it, and that will put you in a place where you can take it or leave it. Okay, as I said at the beginning, this is the last episode of Series 3. It's been a riot. Wow, we've had some incredible guests, scientists, some amazing speakers, some influential people. We've had incredible people's journeys through complete control in our other programs. Get yourself ready because Series 4 will be coming soon-ish. Not too soon because I need a break, but it will be coming soon. Thank you as always for enjoying the podcast and don't forget to check out Complete Control. All right, we'll see you soon. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.